This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. In an effort to reduce violence in society, experts have created a database to define the how and why of mass shootings. It reveals common characteristics of the shooters. We started seeing these patterns emerge in the lives of mass shooters, and certainly each shooter has a very different story and very different details, but they all follow this similar trajectory. Then, converging technologies are rapidly changing how Americans work and live. A renowned futurist says this will create massive wealth for those who can spot opportunity. Massive reinvention of entertainment, of healthcare, of education, of finance, of insurance, of food. Then the change is going to allow for wealth creation. Those stories and more are ahead on this week's show. InfoTrack begins right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Too often, tragic stories of mass shootings make the headlines. But an effort to better understand the how and why of mass shooters is underway, revealing common characteristics of these killers. With this story, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Jillian Peterson is a psychologist and assistant professor of criminology and criminal justice at Hamline University in St. Paul, Minnesota. As part of the Violence Project, their nonpartisan think tank, Professor Peterson and her co-author and a team of students researched and coded data for every mass shooter in the United States since Charles Whitman climbed a tower at the University of Texas in 1966 and killed 14 people, an event often considered the first modern-era televised mass shooting. So, Professor Peterson, has this sort of comprehensive database ever been compiled before, for example, by the FBI or a similar organization? There isn't a database that we know of, and certainly not one that's publicly available. And we decided to really take a deep dive into the life histories of these mass shooters. So each shooter is coded on over 100 pieces of life history information, and a database that comprehensive hasn't been built before. How did you find all this data? We use publicly available data for the most part. Anything from news articles, court transcripts, obituaries, medical files, social media posts, anything that we could find that was publicly available. We also requested open access police records and FBI files. And in some cases, we've also been doing interviews. So we've interviewed seven perpetrators of mass shootings and a number of different family members, teachers, social workers, or new people growing up. I understand that your project has identified some common threads among nearly all of these shooters. Tell us what those common threads are. Yeah, so we started seeing these patterns emerge in the lives of mass shooters. And certainly each shooter has a very different story and very different details, but they all follow this similar trajectory. So it starts their lives with early childhood trauma, early exposure to violence. You see a lot of abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, a lot of domestic violence in the home. Then you see these individuals hit what we're calling a crisis point. So it's kind of a slow build over time. They develop mental health issues. There's problems with peers. 
And eventually they hit a point where they are overwhelmed and can't cope. And sometimes for school shooters, that tends to be a problem with the school. For workplace shooters, that tends to be a loss of a job. For other shooters, it's a relationship falling apart. But something happens that's kind of their tipping point, and they become suicidal. So the vast majority of mass shooters are suicidal. Then they have access to kind of a script for doing this. So you see that mass shootings tend to cluster. They're socially contagious in that way. So when one happens, you see another three or four happen. Mass shooters study each other. So they look at what other people have done. A lot of times they get radicalized in online hate groups. So you see this piece of mass shooters kind of studying each other and wanting to one-up each other. And then finally, the last piece of this is they have the ability to do the act. So we call that access. So they have access to the weapons and then access to their chosen site. Was it possible for your database to include the drugs that these shooters may have been prescribed? Because you do read online some theories that psychotropic drugs are also, in at least in some cases, a common denominator. Yeah, we did code that. So we coded a lot of different mental health variables because that's something that was really an interest of mine as a psychologist to really get at what is the mental health profile of these individuals. It's about 20% of mass shooters we know we can document to show that they took some sort of psychotropic medication, which is pretty consistent with rates in the general population. Of course, most of these gunmen end up dead, but as you mentioned, you did interview seven of them who are now presumably in prison. I'm sure that was quite an experience. What did you learn? We really focused on their life building up to the shooting, and we were clear that they weren't going to be compensated in any way, that we weren't going to share their identities, so there would be no additional fame or notoriety that came from these interviews, and we weren't interested in the shooting itself. We were really just interested in what is the build that got them there. So we asked questions about childhood, about adolescence, about adulthood, and then about really the week leading up to the shooting and the planning process. Our guest on InfoTrack is Professor Jillian Peterson from Hamline University in St. Paul, Minnesota. She's part of the Violence Project, a nonpartisan think tank which has created a database that looks at the characteristics of mass shooters. So let's talk about prevention steps. What are the biggest things that you think would be effective in preventing mass shootings? Well, we were looking at prevention at each of those four steps that we talked about. So, so far, our prevention strategies have really been focused on that last step of access. So how do we fortify our buildings? We talk about gun laws. How do we train ourselves to respond when a shooting occurs to minimize casualties? And all of that is kind of worst case scenario, right? At that point, the person is there. They're wanting to do the shooting. So we were interested in can we go farther back to try to prevent earlier? So if you talk about early childhood trauma, there's interventions that can occur in schools with access to mental health. We talk about crisis and suicidality. That's a place that we're really interested in. Can we train people to look for signs of a crisis, to really be aware when people leak plans or say things that are dangerous and be able to look for signs of suicidality and knowing how to intervene? And then at the script and access point, how do we monitor online hate groups, stop the spread of these via the media and social media. This is something so new, it may not be in your database yet, but at least 17 states have passed what are called red flag laws to temporarily confiscate firearms from a person who may present a danger to himself or to others. There are some constitutional concerns that these laws could be abused, but do you believe they work? 
We don't have enough data yet to really show that. Certainly there's some data showing that red flag laws are effective at preventing suicides. Our data is showing that the vast majority of people, so 80% of people in our database, we can show that they were in a crisis in the weeks before the shooting. And many of them were communicating that crisis. People were worried about them, and yet they had access to firearms. So there is some indication that red flag laws could be effective. Let's talk specifically about school shootings for a moment, because I know you've done some specific work there. What suggestions do you have to prevent school shootings? One of our biggest findings on school shootings was that over 90%, 91% of school shooters are current or former students of the school. And if you take that single data point, it really makes us question a lot of things we're doing. So things like lockdown drills and school security aren't going to be very effective if the perpetrator is in the building, if they know how to get in and out, and if the perpetrator themselves is running through these lockdown drills. And in some cases, we see that perpetrators use their inside knowledge to increase rather than decrease casualties. And we also know that things like expelling and suspending students for making threats aren't very effective because in some of those cases, the students just come back and do it anyways. It actually intensifies their grievance with the school. So we've been working and thinking with schools about how can we be more proactive at spotting warning signs, at looking for crisis points, and having intervention teams in place that are really proactive. School shootings, though, are not the most common type of mass shooting, though, are they? They're not, no. The most common type is actually workplace shootings. But in recent years, we're seeing the most significant rise in restaurant and retail shootings and kind of the random public spaces. Those have really gone up in the last five years. Is there any particular misconception among the public that you think is most common? One is how common mental illness is. In our database, it was about 16% of mass shootings, you could say, were at least partially caused by mental illness, so the person was delusional, showing signs of psychosis. But that was lower than the percentage that were related to things like hate or interpersonal problems or job loss. Is there any other advice you can offer for the average person who you know, wants to avoid being in one of these situations? Yeah, I think one thing that's hopeful that we got from interviewing mass shooters is that we would ask a question, is there anything or anyone that would have stopped you from doing this? And every single time they said yes. And if you look at some of the cases of averted shootings, and we have talked to some people who plan to do a shooting and change their mind, the thing that changed their mind was really a human connection and someone giving them a sign of hope. And it didn't actually take that much. So I think if I hold on to that piece of it, I have some hope that if we're kind of looking for these signs, reaching out, connecting with people, bringing them into the community, that we can get them through this moment, stop the spread of this. Is there anything in particular a family member should be watching for that might be an imminent sign that something's about to happen? Yeah, I would say you're looking for changes in behavior. That's kind of the signs of a crisis. So someone who's showing a marked change in behavior, any interest in weapons, interest in shootings, studying other shootings, writing or thinking about violence, any of those would be real red flags that you would want to investigate. Well, it's a fascinating database and certainly amazing that this amount of detail has never been compiled in a single database before this. Now, was this primarily intended for researchers such as you or can anyone see it? 
The entire database is publicly available, so anyone can go to our website, violenceproject.org, and download it and look through it. Our goal with the database is to get it into people's hands, policymakers, researchers, the general public, so that we can have policy conversations that are really based on data rather than fear and emotion. So we're hoping that the database can move us forward in terms of effective prevention. Fascinating project. Professor Jillian Peterson from Hamline University in St. Paul, Minnesota, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, new technology will transform our future. That story coming up. You're listening to InfoTrack. More after this.